Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Although by the time you're listening to this, it's probably afternoon or evening, wherever you are. You're probably listening to this throughout the week. There's no rush now. There's no game reviews or anything like that. I'm Davey Barris, a lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and we got done wrapping up the 2021 Cleveland Indians pitching in the last episode, which means this episode has to be all about hitting. We're going to go through the whole lineup, take a look at some key players, took a look at some bad players, some players that struggled. We're going to go through everything when it comes to Cleveland Indians hitting. And uh, before we get into that, I just want to say, hey, if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review on whatever app you are listening on, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. We did a little contest at the end of the season, gave out some free swag, but you know, nothing's stopping you from getting on there and leaving a five-star review. We are a perfect five-star show on Apple Podcasts. So I know not everybody listens on there. Some people listen on different apps. But if you are on Apple Podcasts, if you're on another podcast that takes reviews, help the show grow. Let people know about it. Let them know how much fun we have on this show talking baseball. And even in October, when the Indians are out of it, we still have some fun talking baseball here on Cleveland Baseball Mornings. All right. Also, also, I want to do a mailbag episode. I've never done a mailbag episode. I've answered your emails as they've trickled in throughout the season. I want to do a mailbag episode. So I'm thinking it might be a fun way after the World Series, maybe. We'll come back and we'll do an episode where we can wrap up the World Series. And I can answer any of your questions, whether it's off-season questions, 2021 questions, 2022 Guardians questions. Let me know. Chris already emailed in. Chris, I got your email. I appreciate it. And I'm going to save it for the mailbag episode, okay? So come back. Check next episode, Chris, and I'll answer your email. Uh, And everybody else, email them in. mornings at gmail.com. Easiest way to get in touch with me. I'll answer any of your questions. So... Uh, let's talk, before we get into the Indians hitting, I'm going to reverse what I did in the pitching episode. Let's talk about the playoffs going on right now because we have our World Series. We've got our World Series set. It is going to be Houston against Atlanta. Atlanta clinches last night. And who else but Eddie Rosario is the MVP of the NLCS. He's the hero in Atlanta. He has the big home run. Uh, He had a couple of big hits. He was unbelievable in the NLCS. And that's why the playoffs are so spectacular in baseball. It's such a small sample size. You never know who the star is going to be. Do you remember a few years ago for the St. Louis Cardinals, they had a third baseman, David Freeze, and the dude was just unbelievable throughout the playoffs. I think he turned it into a decent contract for himself, but he was nothing. I mean, he was average during the regular season. Just an average guy, but that one playoffs was incredible. That's kind of what Eddie Rosario is doing right now. He did better once he went to Atlanta, but has been just unbelievable. And you never know. Sometimes it's by series. I mean, it was Eddie Rosario this series. I think in the DS, in the NLDS, it was Jack Peterson who was the big hero for Atlanta. He had a couple of bombs. They were calling it Jocktober uh, down there in Atlanta. So... You never know. Maybe it's going to be someone else. Maybe it's going to be Freeman or Alves or Swanson. You never know who the hero of a series is going to be. And it's the same thing over there on the uh, Houston side of things 
We'll see uh, their offense. They just obliterated Boston's pitching. And Boston's lineup went ice cold. Remember, Boston was up two games to one in that series. And then Houston just rattles off three in a row, I believe. And uh, yeah, Boston's offense just goes ice cold. And Houston just kept pounding away at them. So it's two offenses that are really locked in right now. The thing that's blowing my mind about this playoffs, I think the managers are just losing their damn minds when it comes to pitching. I mean, how many times have we seen in this playoffs just the short string on starters, burning through your bullpen, having to go back to starters to pitch in the 7th, 8th, ninth innings of these games, pitching guys on short rest, uh, bringing guys in. I mean, Max Scherzer basically has a dead arm because of these playoffs. He couldn't pitch last night. Scherzer doesn't get the pitch again for the Dodgers in this playoffs. Um, they brought Bueller back on short rest. Urias, they were moving him all around. Uh, Houston's doing similar things. Um, Atlanta is doing... I think Atlanta has stuck with their starter reliever role. I don't remember Atlanta bringing in like Max Freed or anything like that or Morton uh, when it's not a start situation. So I don't know if they're using guys on short rest, but I feel like they've at least been letting their bullpen guys be their bullpen guys. And, uh, yeah, I mean, someone said to me that Terry Francona is kind of responsible for this because the way he used Andrew Miller in 2016. And, yeah, for for being creative with your bullpen come playoff time and really, really leaning on your bullpen, he absolutely holds some responsibility for that. I don't feel like he was using the starters the way they're burning through starters right now. So it is blowing my mind. I, I mean, legitimately, I feel like they are losing their minds right now in the playoffs. So we will see Atlanta versus Houston. I feel like we got to root for Atlanta. They have a little bit of an underdog story. I mean, they didn't really take control of that division until late in the season. They had to completely rebuild their outfield. I mean, they're doing this without their star player, don't forget. Acuna Jr. went down with a bad leg injury. They're doing this without their MVP of their team, the star of their team. Now, some would say Freddie Freeman's the star of the team, but I mean, he's kind of the... You know, he's the veteran star of the team. I think we can all agree that Acuna Jr. was the face, kind of, the star of the team. Uh, as great as Freeman has been. I mean, an M- former MVP. So, yeah, it's pretty incredible. And then Houston, I feel like they're still public enemy. I feel like they are. I feel like nobody has, you know, for good reason, nobody's forgiven them for the scandal, for the cheating. The only thing about Houston, the only thing I would that would get me to root for them a little bit is obviously their manager, Dusty Baker. For him to win a World Series would be great this late in his career. Um, and then Michael Brantley. I mean, yeah, I want I want Michael Brantley to have a great career. So that's the only thing. Like, if Brantley can have a great game, and but Atlanta still wins. Maybe I mean, Brantley deserves a ring, though. I don't think he's gotten one with Houston since he's been to Houston. Has he? I don't think so. So I think he was still on Cleveland when Houston was winning the World Series. So, yeah, uh, we'll see how this plays out. Whose offense stays hot and who burns through their pitching. Who This might be a competition to see who can screw up their pitching less. That might be the team that wins the World Series this year. All right, uh, Indians news. There is a little bit of Indians news that I totally skipped last time, and that's uh, the Chicago Cubs have hired our assistant GM, Hawkins, to be their new general manager. So... 
what is his name? Carter Hawkins. So he moves on. He, I guess he played catcher or something at Vanderbilt. He's a guy that just moved up our system. He's one of these young guys that they just bring into the system and train up the Cleveland way of doing things. And then he goes on to be a general manager somewhere else. It's a tale as old as time. We have a good front office. It churns out, you know, intelligent people. So uh, I'm not shocked that one of our guys got poached to be a GM somewhere else. And frankly, good luck to him. I mean, I don't know how much of an impact Carter Hawkins has had on the shape of this team, on things like acquiring Fermil Reyes or, you know, any or anything like that, or drafting a guy like uh, Bobby Bradley or, or, you know, trading for Miles Straw. Who knows? Who knows how much of an impact Carter Hawkins had on any of that? I, I, I doubt we'll ever really know, and they'll probably bring up other young, intelligent people to fill his spots. So uh, good luck to him. I think the Indians front office probably churns on. But it is interesting news that they they come to Cleveland to get front office people. I mean that that shows you the uh quite the organization that they've built on that side of the game. All right. Now, with all that said, with all that behind us, let's get into what you're here for. You're here to talk offense. Let's go through this lineup. Let's talk about this team. First off, where did this team rank compared to the rest of the league? Let's start with good old-fashioned batting average. Good old-fashioned batting average. The Houston Astros and Toronto Blue Jays top the league 267, 266. Just to let you know where we're sitting here, the Cleveland Indians come in at 22nd in baseball at 238. So, could have been worse. Could have been worse. Guess who was below us? Guess who was one point below us? The New York Yankees, the Bronx Bombers themselves, Actually, we're one one tick below the Indians when it came to batting average. 238, 237. All right, so not great. Not great. What about OPS, though? Because batting average, Davey, batting average is old school. We want OPS. All right, you want OPS? Again, Blue Jays and Houston Astros pacing the league. 796 for the Toronto Blue Jays, 784 for the Astros. That's how good the Blue Jays were. Uh, no team tops 800. The Cleveland Indians come in at 21st in baseball, 7-10 OPS as a team, uh, just above the Detroit Tigers. Um, so yeah, so that shows you kind of where the Indians sit. They are kind of a below average offense. Now, one of the things is I felt like we struck out a ton. Didn't feel like we were striking out an absolute ton. Well, the truth is... Let's reverse these numbers here. The Toronto Blue Jays were the best in baseball, striking out the least, followed by the Houston Astros. Boy, those offenses were pretty darn good. The Cleveland Indians come in at 12th in baseball. Actually, not that bad. Um, about 100 strikeouts, 150 or so strikeouts more than the Toronto Blue Jays. But, well, you know, doing better than the rest of the pack. Um, now, the one stat that's fun, let's go home runs. Let's go home runs. Then saying in the 90s was chicks dig the long ball. I think we all still dig the long ball a little bit. As cool as Pitching Ninja has made pitching, I think we all dig the long ball still. Where did the Indians come in as far as those power numbers go? 12th in baseball. The uh, Toronto Blue Jays were at 262. My God, 20, 
one more home runs than second place San Francisco Giants at 241. The Blue Jays offense, my God, if they could ever get a pitching staff up there in Toronto, that is a World Series team right there. Um, the Indians come in at 203, 203 home runs. Uh, more home runs, believe it or not, than the Chicago White Sox. 13 more home runs than the Chicago White Sox. The only team in the American League Central to hit more home runs are still the Minnesota Twins. Twins love hitting the long ball. They uh, hit, ooh, how many more? Uh, 25 more home runs than us. 228 to 203. All right. The one thing about this Indians offense I can say is, my God, they were good at stolen bases. They come in third in baseball with 109 stolen bases, one behind the San Diego Padres, and then the Kansas City Royals were best in baseball at 124. But here's the thing. The Indians stole 109 bases. They were only caught 17 times. Meanwhile, Padres were caught 39 times. Royals were caught 33 times. So yeah, uh, unbelievable stolen base percentage success rate for the Cleveland Indians on the base path. And speed, we will see as we go through this lineup, is a major factor. It's a big part of our game now. And that is awesome. That is something we can work with. So there you go. There is some positive stuff about your Cleveland Indians offense compared to the rest of the league. Now, let's get into this. Let's get into this actual lineup. We'll go around the diamond. We'll go through the lineup. We'll talk pretty much everybody. I will tell you that some of these players we have already talked about in uh, the first season wrap-up episode, the episode uh, that's labeled like answering questions about this team or something like that, right? We already talked Harold Ramirez, Bradley Zimmer, Oscar Mercado, um, we already talked about Bobby Bradley in that episode, so I'm going to kind of glaze over those guys. If you want to hear my deep thoughts on those guys, go back, check out that episode from two episodes ago, and I go into really deep detail on those guys. All right, start with catchers. Um, I'm a baseball reference right now. We're going to jump over to baseball savant for some of these things, but we're on baseball reference right now. Austin Hedges, Got the mo- did he get the most plate appearances as catcher? Yes, he did. Well above uh, Roberto Perez. Roberto Perez only gets 44 games in. Austin Hedges gets 88 games in. Don't forget, we also have Rene Rivera with 21 games, Wilson Ramos with 9 games, and Ryan LaVarnaway with 9 games. So lots of catchers came through. Frankly, none of them were very good. I mean, Hedges is bad. The 178 batting average is bad. He did contribute 10 home runs, though. 10 home runs from Austin Hedges feels like uh, those all came at like really critical times. I remember a lot of big home runs from Austin Hedges, but he ends the season. Uh, OPS is a stat I'm going to use a lot here because it's a great way to compare yourself to the rest of the league and really see your value. Now, remember plus stats, and I know you've heard this from me a hundred times, but I want to make sure anybody jumping on board Cleveland baseball mornings is on the same level as us on the same page when it comes to talking about stats. So I'm always going to repeat these things just to make sure we all got it. Anytime you see these plus stats, league average is set to 100. It's used to kind of take ballpark factors out of it. So, you know, depending on what ballpark you're in, obviously it's a little bit easier or harder to hit. So it averages those things out. And this is on base percentage plus slugging percentage and then set with league average set to 100. So if you're above 100, you're doing great. If you're below 100, you got to catch up. All right. So where does Austin Hedges sit? 43 OPS plus. That is brutal. 
absolutely brutal. Now, 10 home runs helped, but that is just, that is a major struggle right there. That is showing you that we are getting barely anything offensively from the catcher position right now. Roberto Perez did not help much more when he was in there. He did have seven home runs. So we got 17 home runs. Uh, add in two from Rene Rivera and two from Wilson Ramos. We got 21 home runs from the catching position. Frankly, if you know Roberto Perez played a whole season and he hit 21 home runs, you'd probably be pretty happy about it. But uh, So the power was there, but the OPS Plus shows that the value of these hitters just is not there. Roberto Perez at 54 OPS Plus, a 149 batting average. Uh, Rene Rivera in his limited time here actually held his own at 90 OPS Plus. Wilson Ramos also had a 90. Lavarnaway had a 72. But those guys all hit over 200. Um, and like I said, Rene Rivera and Wilson Ramos chipped in a couple home runs. F- frankly, I... I'm not sure that getting rid of Rene Rivera was the right choice. Uh, probably would have. I mean, he's 37-year-old journeyman. It probably would have helped to just kind of keep him around all year to give you a little bit of offense from the catcher position. Um, Lavarnaway is only 33. Ramos, obviously, he's only 33, but he's got a long way to come from that knee injury. That was brutal when his knee collapsed and he, you know, he, and he I buckled on him and he collapsed. That was a rough injury. I don't know if LaVarnaway will still even be under contract next year. I'm guessing, I think he was on a spring training invite uh, and was playing down in AAA for us. So we'll see what that AAA backup catcher position looks like. The big decision here is that Roberto Perez has an option. I think it's a $7 million option or something like that. It's a lot of money to throw at a guy. I can't stay on the field. And I know like when you hear him in interviews, you know how much Roberto Perez cares about this team, cares about uh, you know his teammates and bringing success and helping this team. And he obviously is still an amazing defensive catcher. But we need to find some offense from that catching position. With Unless you're just going to build up everything else and live with what you get at catcher which kind of was supposed to be the plan with these two, frankly. Still probably a huge option to give out to Roberto Perez. Can they work something out for cheaper? That'll be the question. If they go to him and are straight up and say, Roberto Perez, look, we're, we're not doing $7 million. Frankly, you haven't been on the field enough to earn that much money. We would bring you back at $4 million. What do you think? That'll be interesting. That would be interesting. He's also 32 years old, so... He's getting up there. Hedges is the youngest of them at 28. And Hedges is going to probably be here next year. His defense is that good. His energy, frankly, is that good. I mean, you can clearly tell he can rile the guys up a little bit. So, uh, yeah, that's the catcher position. That is a long, longer than I expected to talk about the catcher position, frankly. Bobby Bradley, like I said, we talked about him in that previous episode. 99 OPS+. plus. There's With the power potential, you got to keep working with this guy. 25 years old. You have no idea what the next five seasons could bring for Bobby Bradley. It is boom or bust, and I am here for the boom. I am here to see if he can reach that potential and be the power hitter we know he can be. Um, 16 home runs for him in only uh, 279 plate appearances, so in 74 games. So, obviously, you double that. Uh, yeah, that'd be a pretty great season, right? If that's, you know, instead of 74 games, if that's 150 games, 
uh, that 16 home runs turns into 32 home runs. That's a pretty darn good season. I think you'll see numbers like that when we get to Fermil Reyes. All right, Cesar Hernandez, it was a strange season from him. We got this ridiculous amount of power from him, but the batting average plummeted. So he ends up getting traded to Chicago. There's not much to analyze here because, frankly, it's Chicago's thing now, right? It's it's not an option for us anymore. I will be interested to see if Chicago picks up the option year on him. I mean, the way the contract is designed, it makes all the sense in the world for Chicago to pick that up. He still has a lot to contribute um, in his early 30s. So a strange season from uh, Cesar Hernandez, what we got. This is not what we expected from Cesar Hernandez. Ahmed Rosario. All right, this is the first guy we're going to go into some serious detail with. He had a 99 OPS plus, so basically league average there. But there are some numbers that stand out. 282 batting average. Second best batting average on the team. And uh, add in a 321 on base percentage, a 409 slugging percentage. It's good for a 731 OPS total. Um, some of the things that Ahmed Rosario did well, man, the doubles, the triples, the speed. 13 stolen bases was caught zero times. Frankly, I mean, at, the, at that success rate, you want to see him running all the time. Well, yeah, we got we to gotta see how many stolen bases Ahmed Rosario can get. I can't tell you how many times this guy legged out an extra base hit, legged out an infield single. I don't care. We're about to jump over to Baseball Savant here. And some of these numbers aren't pretty on Baseball Savant. I'm going to tell you right now. Some of these numbers are not pretty. But there is nothing on here that can quantify the things this guy did on the base path and the things this guy did with his speed and his hustle. Right? How many times did we see him just explode out of the batter's box and take that triple or take that double or beat out that infield single? So things like that, the uh, unmeasurables for Ahmed Rosario, the intangible things about Ahmed Rosario, I am very excited to see what next season brings. Now, defensively, yes, he's not the best. They've got him right here at, in the outs above average, they've got him in the 16th percentile. Now, frankly, this is not something that Savant does a great job of breaking down and explaining how this stat really comes together, but outs above average, it's a pretty self-explanatory title, 16th percentile. So defensively, yes, he is not a gem defensively, but was he serviceable? I think that's a decision that Francona and Antonetti and Chernoff are going to have to make. Was he serviceable enough at shortstop that keeping that bat in the lineup every day, keeping him in a position he's comfortable with, obviously he's comfortable hitting as a shortstop. Is that something that they can work with? Or if not, move him to the outfield now. Move him to left field. It's not going to be center field anymore. That's Miles Straw. So he's going out to left field, and he has all offseason to work on that. He could, uh, can he play in a winter league somewhere? You know, get him out in left field and get him comfortable out there all offseason if that is the choice. The hard part is there's so many young shortstops knocking on the door, but they're all question marks. Young guys are always question marks. So do you bring them up as second baseman, let them get their feet wet as second baseman, and then make a decision on who the shortstop of your future is? All right, so 
Ahmed Rosario, that is a further discussion that we're going to continue throughout the offseason. And as we hear things, you know, I hope we hear some news about where Ahmed Rosario is training, what position they're looking at for him next season. All right. So the thing about Ahmed Rosario, the expected weighted on base percentage, so kind of the total of all these numbers together, 18th percentile. Expected batting average, 68th percentile. Expected slugging, 18th percentile. Barrel percentage, 8th percentile. These are bad. You want to be up in the 80s and 90s. You don't want to be down in single digits. That means you're the worst in the league at barreling up the baseball. Uh, Walk rate was 8th percentile. We know he's an aggressive hitter. We know he's absolutely aggressive hitter. The whiff rate wasn't as bad as it could have been. 47th percentile. He didn't strike out as much. I mean, his chase rate is 10th percentile. So he would chase balls out of the zone, but he wasn't actually whiffing at them. That's something we're going to get into. Sprint speed, 97th percentile. That is awesome. So uh, some of the things that he did this season, um, his hard hit rate was actually the best of his career. A 43.5% hard hit rate. So it was his first time in his career, he's above 40%. His K percentage was pretty much in line with his career average at 204 percent K percentage and he got his walks up. He was at the he actually was at the highest walk rate of his entire career at 5.3. It's it's a really low walk rate, but it was the best of his career. So give him a little bit of credit that he's working on it, okay? He's working on it. What pitches did he do a good job of hitting this year? Well, he really did a good job of hitting fastballs. A lot of guys on this team did a great job hitting fastballs. 327 batting average off of fastballs. The one thing, the difference between last year when he really struggled for the Mets and this year is he did a much better job of hitting the changeups, the off-speed pitches. Off changeups, he was a 304 hitter this year as opposed to a 206 hitter last year. That is a significant difference. He did struggle on the curves and the sliders. 205 uh, batting average, a whiff rate of 34.7, the highest of any pitch he had to face. Uh, he was whiffing at those breaking balls. So that is something uh, he is definitely going to have to lock into next season. Now, I did an interesting thing with uh, Ahmed Rosario here. And if I could find the page. So on Baseball Savant, they have a tab called Zones. And what it does is it shows you all the zones of the strike zone and outside the strike zone. And it gives you every stat you could possibly want in those zones. The one thing I can tell you at by looking at this is he swung a ton. He swung an absolute ton at pitches down and out of the zone. They kind of break outside the zone into four quadrants here. They break the strike zone up into a grid of nine quadrants, you know, and then they bring outside the zone up into four quadrants, up and in, down and in, down and away, up and away. So, He swung a ton, a lot of red numbers uh, at the bottom of the zone. And the K rate and the whiff rate were pretty bad down there. Um, Much worse than it was in the actual strike zone. However, he did make a lot of contact down there. And he actually got a lot of singles, uh, 10 singles down and in, 11 singles down and away. A lot of singles came from And a lot of hits, frankly, came from pitches that were low in the zone. He did not get a lot of hits from pitches above the belt, basically. Most of his hits came 
from pitches from the belt or below. Um, he did a good job with the center of the strike zone. If he got meat pitch, he he hit it. Most of his hits, 28 of his hits came from right down the pipe. Um, the power numbers um, came mostly from, uh, let's see the slugging here. Uh, the slugging numbers, most of them came from pitches uh, middle in. Uh, he was an 800 slugging for pitches down the pipe, 556 for middle in. 520 for middle up. So he did a good job slugging there. But he did slug 333 for pitches down and in. 457 for pitches down and in that were in the strike zone. So he did have some success going down there. But he also hit a ton of ground balls. And, uh, you know, did whiff and chase a lot of pitches down in that zone. So obviously, if you're a pitcher looking at these squares here, if you're looking at these zones... You're thinking, I am going down to Ahmed Rosario. I am getting him to chase down. I'm keeping the ball down. Ahmed Rosario has to do a better job of being a little more decisive at the bottom of the zone. Laying off a little bit more for especially those pitches. He got, ready for this, the second most pitches he got to any zone were down and in at 245. He got 245 pitches down and in out of the strike zone. The most of anything in the strike zone is actually right down the middle at 166. He got 502 pitches thrown down and away to him out of the strike zone. 502. More than double any other zone. That is insanity. Uh, Even if you were to add up some of these quadrants in the strike zone, you're still not going to find a quadrant. If you were to break that into fours instead of nines, you're still not going to find a quadrant as much as 502 pitches down and away. So he has to be slightly more decisive with those pitches down and away. Lay off a little bit more. Make the pitchers come back into the strike zone a little bit there. Um, But yeah, so that is some serious detail on what Ahmed Rosario did this season. And Frankly, one of the one of the best storylines in this Indian season was Ahmed Rosario. Obviously, all those expectations from Lindor over the last few years, it was a lot to live up to for Ahmed Rosario, and he did it in a completely different way. It was just a completely different hitter. So that is some fun detail on Ahmed Rosario. All right, moving through this lineup, Jose Ramirez. How could we not, if we're going to talk offense, how could we not you know, brag about Jose Ramirez, gloat about Jose Ramirez. I mean, okay, the whole GOAT thing, the whole GOAT thing, if you remember, GOAT stands for greatest of all time. I don't know how GOAT got applied to like, they basically use it as like all-star now. I, I don't understand how that happened. That's not what the term is for. You might be able to call Tom Brady the GOAT. Because he legitimately might be the best quarterback of all time. We're not here to debate that. Uh, You might be able to call... I I don't know. I I don't know who who on the Indians. Jim Tomey might be the GOAT power hitter of all time as far as Cleveland Indians go. Bob Feller might be the GOAT all time when it comes to pitching. Right? The term gets thrown around like crazy. Like, Jose Ramirez is fantastic. So let's brag about him. I don't know where that little mini rant came from. Let's brag about Jose Ramirez because it is all red on his percentile rankings on Baseball Savant. First off, 
just the general stats, 266 batting average. The batting average was down a little bit this season, but he matches it with an 893 OPS. It's a 141 OPS plus. That is fantastic. 36 home runs and 32 doubles, 27 stolen bases to go with that. Only caught four times, almost a 30-30-30 season. Has 103 RBIs. And ready for this? Scores 111 runs. The next closest was Ahmed Rosario at 77. When Jose Ramirez got on base, he made things happen. He made runs score. He's another guy just like Ahmed Rosario. Something you can't measure. How many times did he leg out a double and just absolutely take a double like it's old man softball, right? That's something you see on Sunday mornings on an old man softball field, not on a major league baseball diamond with arms, with guys that can throw. Uh, but he would take that extra base every time. The helmet flying off, uh, absolutely fantastic to see Jose Ramirez on the base paths. It is so much fun. And the one thing about him is the strikeout numbers. He manages to keep the strikeout numbers down and pair that with the walks. 87 strikeouts and 72 walks. That is an incredible ratio. Now, going over to his baseball savant page, it is all red. I mean, expected weighted on base percentage, 89th percentile. Expected batting average, 88th percentile. Expected slugging, 84th percentile. Barrel, 73%. K percentage, 92. Walks, 81. Whiff rate, 94. Chase rate, 72. Sprint speed, 77. Pretty decent still. Outs above average, 94th percentile. There you go. This guy is great. It's that simple. The percentile rankings on Baseball Savant show you that blue is poor, black is average, red is great. This guy is all red, and he is great. That's the best way to sum it up. One of the fun things here, I looked at his spray chart, and my God, does this guy, does this guy love uh, pulling the ball? Absolutely. When you flip this around and look at where he stands, when he is batting from the right side of the plate, he dropped a few singles in the right center. Did hit a couple of doubles off the wall in right center field. Two doubles off the wall in right center field. Everything else is to left field. All the home runs are to left field. A bunch of doubles down the line. A bunch of sh- singles shot through the left side. Uh, this guy is a, just such a pull hitter. He has made up in his mind, I am going to do my thing. I don't care where that defense lines up. Jose Ramirez is swinging where Jose Ramirez wants to swing. When you go to the left side, more at-bats from the left side, tons of power over there. All the home runs are pull home runs down into right field, a few into right center. Uh, he did spray a few more singles and doubles up the middle from the left side of the plate. Did put a couple more doubles down that left field line, uh, off the left field wall. Um, so a little bit more opposite way from the left side of the plate, but all the power is still in the pull for Jose Ramirez. So that is just, I thought that was pretty fun from his spray chart. Because when you look at it uh, all together, it looks like he uses the whole field. But this guy didn't hit one home run to center field the whole season. He stayed away from center field. Everything was a pull shot home run for him on the season. So I thought that was fun. Jose Ramirez, obviously this is the guy of anybody that's come along in the last 10 years. This is the guy 
that is and should be the face of the franchise. Now, you signed him to the most ridiculously team-friendly contract of all time back in 2018, I think. When did he actually sign this deal? Um, you know, he's made he made only $9 million last year and was that good. He's got an option for $12 million this year. He's got an option for $14 million next year. So you could just pick up those options. It'd be his age 29 and 30 seasons, and then he'd be an unrestricted free agent for his age 31 season in 2024. That would be a huge mistake for the Cleveland Indians. This guy still has. And I can sh- you can see on his Savant page, uh, he's o- actually only gotten better. His barrel percentage was the highest of his career at 11.1%. It's only gotten better. It was at 10.2 last year, up to 11.1 this year. Uh, his hard hit percentage was over 40% for the first time in his career. Uh, his, uh, yeah, everything is going up for Jose Ramirez. He is still getting better. So could you work out a contract? Could you even front load a contract for him? Maybe give him four years and then tack an option on the end of that. Something like that. Get him up near $20 million a year. Could you do $20 million a year for the next four years and then maybe some $15 and $12 million options on the end of that? you got to get creative with this. Obviously, he's shown you that he's, he's actually one of the players that's willing to negotiate a contract. I think they can get something done and nothing. There is absolutely nothing. Maybe Shane Bieber. Maybe a contract for Shane Bieber, but nothing would create more positive vibes going into the first official Guardian season than a a long-term extension with Jose Ramirez that lets the Cleveland fans know that this guy is the face of the franchise and will be the face of the Guardians franchise when they debut in 2022. Right, You've shown the fans that you're committed here with the new lease, with the city, Right, that they're staying in Progressive Field, that they're staying in Cleveland. You've shown that commitment. Now show us some commitment to a star player, some player we can get behind and be our guy, some guy that will probably have another statue of him out there next to Jim Tomey, right? next to Larry Doby, out there on the plaza, uh, one day, if you can make it happen, if you can make this guy, I mean, this guy legitimately, it could be a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. He legitimately could be. He's that good. And you want it to be in an Indian's uniform. So, all right, <laughs> there we go. That is Jose Ramirez. An incredible season there. All right, let's keep going. This is going to be a long episode. So strap in. We got more to go here. Let's talk the outfield. Uh, Eddie Rosario was pretty okay here in 86 OPS plus he did hit 254 he got he struggled with the injury the power wasn't there seven home runs for him uh here in Cleveland he he's matched that output in his short time in Atlanta in like a month and a half in Atlanta he matched that output so Eddie Rosario I it wasn't clicking here for some reason uh Josh Naylor goes down with the big injury. He was hitting 253 before that. He had a 90 OPS plus splitting time between right field and first base. Naylor is still a big question mark for me. Uh we we haven't seen it really come together in any significant way yet. And now he has a long road to come back from this leg injury, from this broken leg. Although probably the broken leg is easier to come back from than some of these knee injuries. Bone heals. Bone heals. Once you give it time to heal, 
you can get those leg muscles strong again. I know because I've broken my leg twice. So I know a thing or two about broken legs. Believe me on that one. Uh, I may never played Major League Baseball, but I know a thing or two about broken legs. Um, So he can come back from this, and there is still a lot to figure out. First off, what is Josh Nadler? Is he an outfielder? Is he a first baseman? And what kind of hitter is he? Is he a power hitter? Is he a slap hitter? Uh, You know, a contact hitter? I I think we still need to figure out a lot there. The guy from the outfield that stood out was Miles Straw. Miles Straw coming over in the trade for Houston. Frankly, Phil Maton was terrible in the regular season for Houston, and he's been fantastic in the playoffs for them. So another guy going into the postseason, another guy in the World Series who had worn a Cleveland Indians uniform at one time. But we get Miles Straw, 26 years old, and clearly the center fielder of the future. We're going to have this guy for a long time. I think Miles Straw is only in like his second year or something like that of, he's pre-arb basically, pre-arbitration eligible. So we don't even have to worry about that yet. Um, so, yeah, so Straw hit 285, ended up leading the team in batting average, and if I remember correctly, made a late charge to take that title. Really turned it on at the end here. He had a 104 OPS plus, but for a guy that's not a power hitter, that's okay because he had a 362 on-base percentage and uh, led the team in on-base percentage. Makes sense that he's your leadoff hitter. Uh, so, yeah, 13 stolen bases was only caught once. We want to see what that number can be. Over a full season, uh, did uh, did hit a couple of doubles there. Doubles will be key for Miles Straw, right? Uh, if he can start hitting the gaps and getting doubles, but this guy just has to get on base. All we got to do is just get Miles Straw on base, and good things happen behind it. So it'll be interesting to see there. Uh, his percentile rankings. Uh, some of these things aren't that important. His barrel percentage was third in baseball. His slugging percentage was six. Sixth percentile, sorry, third percentile, sixth percentile for slugging. His hard hit percentage was only third percentile in baseball, but his expected batting average was in the 60th percentile. His expected weighted on base percentage was only 23rd, which is a little bit surprising. I That includes the stuff down in Houston. So I don't know how that changed you know, once he got to Cleveland. His whiff rate, I can tell you, is in the 97th percentile, and his chase rate is 94th. So very disciplined hitter, 96th percentile in speed, Outs above average, 98th percentile. The defense was fantastic out in center field. So, uh, this guy, looking at his spray chart, he really sprays it all around. He hits singles and doubles anywhere on this field. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what a revelation that was getting this guy. I remember when he came here in a Houston uniform, and he was catching everything out in center field, and it was a nightmare. Now he's our nightmare for other teams. So, We'll see how that on-base um, percentage continues to develop for Miles Straw, but that was that a huge storyline of the season was him coming over here and really locking down center field for the first time in a long time. I mean, since maybe Grady Sizemore, Sizemore, could you say we have locked down center field? And as soon as we thought Sizemore had locked down center field, he started with the injuries. So Straw, yeah, it's going to be really good, really good having him out there. And then for Mio Reyes, the big man at DH, um, you know, put up 30 home runs, 254 batting average, a 127 OPS, and it is all in that slugging percentage. Led the team in slugging percentage at 522. The big man, it's streaky, 
right? It's very, very streaky. There were moments where he just could not hit the broadside of a barn. And there were moments where if you put a ball anywhere up and in, he was going to put it not only in the seats, not only in the bleacher seats, he was going to put it halfway up the bleacher seats in left field. So an incredible season from Fermil Reyes. Where does he rank in these percentile rankings? You can imagine the exit velocity numbers and the hard hit numbers are pretty darn high. The barrel percentage all in the 80s or 90s. Uh, the K percentage, though, third percentile. Whiff rate, sixth percentile. So you can definitely make this guy swing and miss, and you can definitely strike him out. But uh, a fantastic season from Fermil Reyes. His barrel percentage has increased. It's the highest of his career at 16.9% barrel percentage. Uh, remember, barrel is a little bit different than hard hit. A barrel, for something to be considered a barrel in Major League Baseball, or as far as you know the advanced stats go, it has to have the combination of exit velocity and launch angle. So if you hit a scorcher right at the third baseman, that doesn't count as a barrel. If you hit a scorcher off the left field wall, that's a barrel. So uh, the best of his career, his hard hit rate actually was within his average. Uh, he hit 51% hard hit rate in 2019. He was at 48.5. The K rate did go up, though. He It was the first time over 30% K rate since he came into the league. Uh, so that is going to be something... You know, it'll be a decision for the new hitting coach to decide how much he cares if Fermil Reyes strikes out. Is the power that he delivers worth it? So we'll see what the new philosophy is from the new hitting coach. And thank God we have a new hitting coach coming on board. But yeah, Fermil Reyes, just uh, it was a pretty fantastic season. He struggled with an injury too. But when he was in there, 115 games he got in there. And he made a difference in every one of them, I think. Uh, it was really, really fun. And two triples. Let's give the big guy some credit. He added two triples on the season. Miles, ready for this? Miles Straw did not have a triple as a Cleveland Indian. Fermil Reyes had two this season. That's bizarre. You would have never guessed that at the beginning of the season. All right, let's get into the bench. Harold Ramirez, Bradley Zimmer, Oscar Mercado. Like I said, I talked about them in that previous episode. Go back if you want to hear my thoughts on that. Andres Jimenez, I actually talked about him in a previous episode as well. Uh, kind of compared him to what Jose Ramirez did at age 22. Right? We looked at the two, and they're frankly eerily similar. So Andres Jimenez does have the potential to break out the way that Jose Ramirez did. Um, that would be exciting. Yu Chang, really quickly... Yu Chang, I know, I know it's the batting average was rough at times. I know he strikes out way too much. 69 strikeouts to 11 walks in 251 plate appearances. But believe it or not, he slugged 426 on the season. It's an 86 OPS plus. The OPS falls just under 700 at 693. Uh, better than Oscar Mercado and Bradley Zimmer, just under Harold Ramirez. Uh, quickly to look at the bench guys here. But uh, his slugging percentage was 426. I think it's like top five on the team. As far as slugging percentages go, he had nine home runs, three triples, and 14 doubles. That's a lot of extra base hits for a guy coming off the bench. 
So yeah, uh, Yu Chang. I think you got to give this guy a chance to be your utility infielder next year. I've been preaching it for like the last month. I really think he's earned it. I think he's earned the opportunity. He can play all four infield positions, and uh, he has pop. He absolutely has some power, has some pop. He can give you some clutch hits. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's really interesting that his slugging percentage was that high compared to the rest of the team. Uh, Andres Jimenez, Owen Miller, Ernie Clement, throw all these guys in together because all of them uh, – just didn't give you as much as you thought. Ernie Clement has the best batting average of the three at 231. Uh, he, let's see, Andres Jimenez has the best OPS at 633. 73 OPS plus for Andres Jimenez, 50 OPS plus for Owen Miller, 71 OPS plus for Ernie Clement. Frankly, the thing I was disappointed about with Owen Miller, 54 strikeouts to nine walks. I really did not expect... Owen Miller to strike out that many times. And him and Andres Jimenez had about the same amount of plate appearances. Uh, 210 for Jimenez, 202 for Miller. Clement got a little less at 133. Clement, frankly, did not strike out a ton. He only had 19 strikeouts to 7 walks. Uh, Andres Jimenez wasn't much better. 54 strikeouts to 11 walks. That's not a good ratio. Uh, but Owen, and, Owen Miller and Andres Jimenez kind of were pretty similar. Um, similar amount of extra base hits. Uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty similar season for those two. Uh, Andres Jimenez gave you a little more. Owen Miller, we thought he was this hit machine in spring training and at AAA. He was. He was a hit machine at AAA. It just did not translate. In his, but it was his first taste of Major League Pitching. You got to give these guys time. Jimenez, Miller, Clement, Arias. It is going to be one hell of a competition. One of these guys is probably going to be your starting second baseman going into next year. If not, your starting second baseman and your starting shortstop if uh, if uh, Ahmed Rosario moves out to like left field. So a lot could happen there. All right. The other names that were on this offense, uh, Jordan Luplo, Jake Bowers, Daniel Johnson, and Ben Gamble. As far as Luplo, Bowers, and Gamble go, I am frankly happy that they all were gone by the end of the season, right? It wasn't working. As much as it was fun to watch Luplo hit monster bombs off of left-handed pitching, it was not working. He was not developing into an everyday outfielder. Bowers, that guy, never delivered on that one good season he had in Tampa Bay, the promise he had coming up from Tampa Bay. And uh, he struggled, I'm pretty sure, when he went to Seattle. And Ben Gamble was just a shot in the dark at trying to find a center fielder. So... Daniel Johnson, once again, does not get a lot of opportunity. He struck out a ton, though, compared to his walks. 27 strikeouts to four walks. It's a terrible ratio. Uh, He did hit 221. He did add four home runs. He had a couple of line drive home runs. Daniel Johnson is still in the mix for a corner outfield spot, but he has gotten barely any opportunity at the major league level. And frankly, it hasn't gone very well when he does get the opportunity. So that kind of wraps up the offense for the Indians. Uh, They did some things well. Stolen bases, home runs. They did some things bad. Actually getting base hits. Um, There were some streaks in this season where it was awful. Oh, let's not forget, by the way, if we're doing an offensive episode, let's not forget how many times this baseball team got no hit throughout the season. So yeah, so there were some days 
when it was awful. Just awful to watch this offense try to play baseball. And then there were some days where, my God, they were fun. We're stealing bases, legging out things, putting together rallies. So, yeah. It's still a work in progress. They need to figure out some solutions in the corner field, outfield spots. These are supposed to be your big run-producing spots. Eddie Rosario actually sounded like an okay answer. It did not pan out. So, I mean, it's up to the, it's obviously up to the front office. It ain't, it ain't up to us. We don't get to make the decisions. Do they look for another Eddie Rosario? A guy who has shown some power in the corner outfield, who's athletic, who is, you know, other teams are down on him a little bit and they can make a play on him. Or do they actually go out, take some of this minor league talent? I don't think they're going to find it in free agency. We will continue to talk about the free agent market. I think you'll be surprised the outfielders that are out there are going to go for way too much money or they're not anybody you want. There's no happy medium there. And we know this front office will spend a little bit more, but they're not going to spend. I don't think they're going to break the bank on a corner outfielder. Put out a massive contract for anybody. Um, So trade, I think trade might be the best solution to bring in a legit thumper in one of those corner outfield spots. And that would really improve this lineup. You saw when everybody was healthy, right? When Fermil Reyes was healthy and Bobby Bradley was in there and even Harold Ramirez, how it kind of lengthened the lineup, right? When all of a sudden uh, Bradley Zimmer or Oscar Mercado were hitting like fourth or fifth and then you had Clement and Miller and all these guys behind them, Man, that lineup got really short really fast. You're like, if the top three in this lineup can't get it done, I don't think anything's going to happen this day. Uh, And there were too many games like that. So we need some more power. We need some more uh, base hit ability. We need some higher batting averages to fill out this thing, frankly. Make this a more competitive one through nine lineup. And then Austin Hedges and Roberto Perez on a reduced contract can hit ninth. Sure, eighth, ninth, whatever. Andres Jimenez or an Owen Miller can figure things out at second base in the ninth hole if you can fix the corner outfield. So yeah, so it's the big mission for this uh, for this offense going forward. Uh, really quickly, really quickly, because uh, we are running really long here. Uh, I just want to talk about how much this lineup changed throughout the year, and this is probably every season. But I just pulled up the first day of every month. So the first game of the season, leading off, remember, you had Jordan Luplo leading off in center field. You had Cesar Hernandez, Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, Fermil Reyes, Josh Naylor. And right, Yu Chang started at first base that day. Roberto Perez was catching and Andres Jimenez at shortstop. When you get to May 1st, ready for this May 1st lineup? Daniel Johnson led off in right field. They were they could not figure off the leadoff spot all season. Jordan Luplo hit second this game. Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, Josh Naylor was DHing this day. Jake Bowers was at first base. Yu Chang was at second. Andres Jimenez was still a shortstop. Austin Hedges was catching. Notice I didn't say uh, Ahmed Rosario's name in either of these lineups. He was not an everyday player at this point in the season. This is May 1st. June 1st, here we go. Ahmed Rosario at shortstop. This is starting to take shape a little bit here. Cesar Hernandez was at second leading off. Ahmed Rosario, Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, Josh Naylor was still in right field. Uh, Harold Ramirez 
was in left. Eddie Rosario DH this day. I know Fermil Reyes was hurt a few of these days. I think coincidentally, he just got some days off on these lineups that I'm looking up here. Jake Bowers was still at first. Zimmer now in center field. And Austin Hedges was uh, hitting ninth at catcher. When we move to July 1st, uh, Cesar Hernandez still leading off. Ahmed Rosario coincidentally DH this day. Jose Ramirez. Harold Ramirez was hitting fourth. Eddie Rosario. Bobby Bradley is finally in there at first base. Ernie Clement, Austin Hedges, and Oscar Mercado was in center field. When we get to August, ready for this? Miles Straw's in center field, but he's batting eighth. They still had not figured out. Once they traded Cesar Hernandez, then they couldn't figure out the leadoff spot again. So Bradley Zimmer is up there in right field. Then Ahmed Rosario, Jose, Fermil Reyes, Oscar Mercado was hitting fifth. He was backing up Fermil Reyes. He was the protection in the lineup. For Fermil Reyes, Roberto Perez hitting sixth, Owen Miller at first, Miles Strong center, and Ernie Clement at second. That's what I'm talking about, length in the lineup. If the top four in this lineup didn't get it done, it wasn't going to happen. Finally, in September, they figure out that Miles Straw is a leadoff hitter. And this is a lineup, You this this is a little bit better. Miles Straw, Ahmed Rosario, Jose Ramirez, Fermil Reyes are your top four. But then, Bradley Zimmer hitting fifth, Harold Ramirez hitting sixth, Bobby Bradley, 7th, Austin Hedges, and then Andres Jimenez. So, yeah. So, you could see how the lineup evolved and changed throughout the course of the season. It took them so long to figure out Miles Straw should be that leadoff hitter. And it took them so long before that to figure out this is our Hernandez should be that leadoff hitter. So, yeah. So, I thought that was interesting, the way the lineup evolved. And, obviously, I ran really quickly through that. But how the lineup evolved throughout the season. All right, that is all my thoughts on the Indians offense. My God, I can't believe we went an hour. Thank you for sticking with me. I hope you enjoyed this breakdown of the pitching, this breakdown of the hitting. Frankly, it took me a week to do these episodes because I just had to wrap my mind around how much I had to talk about to get through the whole offense or get through the whole pitching staff. There was a lot to break down there. Now, I think at this point, Next week, we'll do the mailbag episodes. Next week, I'm going to name my MVP on the season for offense and pitching. I I realized I didn't do it in the pitching episode, so I'm going to save it. I'm going to do my MVPs on the season next episode. Please mailbag in questions. Please, please, please give me some stuff to talk about here. Not because I can't think of anything to talk about. Believe me, I could talk about this team for a long time. But I want to hear your thoughts. I want to have a little bit of a relationship and a little bit of interaction with you. So email in clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com and let's talk baseball. Let's talk about the things you want to talk about, the opinions you have, and I'll let you know what I think about it. So uh, thank you again to uh, Chris, who already emailed in, and he will kick off the mailbag episode next week. We'll do MVPs for the season. And we'll talk about the World Series. So I'm going to wait until the World Series is over, and then I'll drop a new episode. So thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. You can also call in using the Anchor app. That counts as the mailbag episode. If you want to call and leave a voicemail, we had a few throughout the season. Anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings. It's in the show notes. There's a link right there in the show notes. Click it, record a voicemail, keep it under 60 seconds. I'll get it, and I'll play it back on the show. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.